grateful to see everybody again on a wonderful Wednesday night um, as we peruse through the passages of the book of Ephesians, which is a powerful book. We've learned a lot. I don't know about you, but it's always good, no matter how many times you've read a scripture or read something, to be able to go through those things and to be able to study them in detail um, because God's word is so intricate that no matter how long you've studied it, you can always study it and find something there locked in that you've never seen before. So that's my prayer tonight, that God will unlock the treasures of his word to us and for us. And for those of you who are now listening by podcast or listening online, um, we want to say welcome you uh, and hope and pray that this will be impactful uh, for your life. We're in part nine of Ephesians. Ephesians is a wonderful book. I've broken it down into several parts. Uh, me being uh, task-oriented, I would have loved to do a chapter a week and just go chapter by chapter by chapter. But the author of Ephesians is Paul, and Paul is so deep that you could go into one or two of his sentences and stay there for an entire year. Paul is a very, very, very uh, deep th theologian, and he has written over two-thirds of the New Testament, and it is important for us to learn uh, from the things that the Holy Spirit has led him to. And as we come into part two of our second half of Ephesians, we get into the praxis. Uh, there's a different thing between doxis and praxis. Doxis is doctrine. It's just good belief. Good belief makes good behavior. A lot of times people don't behave right simply because they don't believe right. And sometimes it, the Bible says that God winks at our ignorance. Sometimes we don't know things and we, we serve God to the best of our ability. But my grandmother used to say something. She said, when you know better, do better. And so Paul is beginning to talk to this church in Ephesus and he's beginning to tell them how they should live. And it's important anytime that you study the Bible that you take the Bible into context. You know, number one, who he's talking to. You know the context of which he's talking and the culture around which he is talking. And Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church is a church that it has tons of gods around them, false gods. And we know from 1 Corinthians uh, that we see that those who worship idols really worship demons, which means that there is a high demonic presence around uh, the church at Ephesus. And needless to say that the people who make up the Ephesian church, which are mostly Gentile, have come out of that culture. Uh, they have been a part of a culture that has been godless. They've been uh, part of a culture that is very hedonistic and sensual. And Paul is calling them out of that. And what Paul is saying is, now that we've changed the way you believe, now we have to tell you how you behave. One and they both should go together, but sometimes because of ignorance or other things in our life that will pull us back to other parts. And Paul wants to give them encouragement on how to live a godly life, uh, to be a godly person. And he gives us some principles. And I like what we did last week, writing out those principles. So I'm going to go through some principles and nuggets that I want you to get. And I'm going to read some of the scriptures and we'll go through it. But Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this. It says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That one scripture is very packed full of things. But the one word I want to stay on for a second is the word imitator. And to imitate something is simply to copy the behaviors or the patterns uh, of it. Uh, and if you're going to copy the behaviors or the patterns of that thing, uh, you will become subject the subject of those things. And I wrote this down specifically, and I want it said this way, to copy the behavior, patterns, and image of a person or object until it is hard to distinguish between the, the imitated and the imitator. In other words, I watched a movie a long time ago, um, and the movie was called Ray. It was a movie about Ray Charles. And in this movie, they had an actor. I'm not big in the Oscars and acting, but I will say this person deserved an, act, uh, an Oscar. His name was Jamie Foxx. And the reason that Jamie Foxx deserved this Oscar is because Jamie Foxx, when you watch the movie, if you just got lost in the movie, you would forget that you were looking at Jamie Foxx. What do I mean by that? That he studied Ray Charles, I believe, 
um, from, from my reading of it, that he would actually go in the room and Ray Charles was blind and he would sit and he wouldn't even make a noise. He'd just sit there and he would study Ray Charles. He would study his habits. He would study his mannerisms and all the things that he would do. So when it came time to betray him, he could accurately imitate him. And he did it so well that at points in time, you couldn't tell Ray Charles from Jamie Foxx. It didn't hurt that he looked a little bit about, uh, like him, but that's the same way that we should be as Christians, that in our study of Christ, we should be so in our study of Christ and of Jesus and of his ways that as we imitate how he interacted with people, how he behaved with people, the habits that he had, the mannerisms he had, the tendencies that he had, that we should be able to imitate him so much that although you know that it's us, that sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between us and him because our image imitates him we should be good image bearers of Jesus and we have to do that until our behavior becomes more and more consistent or similar with that of Jesus Christ brother Dave if you don't mind if you could cut that uh cut that fan off over the top of me if you wouldn't mind uh just in case I want to make sure my voice lasts all the way uh through the end but I will ask you a question that we should all ask ourselves. If somebody looked at me and compared me to Jesus, how close would I be? Now, if we're honest, most of us say probably not as close as it should be, <laughs> not nearly as close as it should be. But our goal is to continually strive for that goal, not to say that we will ever completely get there. Paul said, I have not yet apprehended. I, Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, was a what I call a super apostle, somebody that we would love to pattern our lives after. After Paul even said, I have not yet apprehended. In other words, I'm trying to be like Jesus, but I hadn't got there yet. I still have some hang ups. And I have some issues and I still have some things going. And he says, but this is what I'm going to do. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking to those things which are forward. I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the hall calling of Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? I'll never be perfect. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to consistently decrease the gap of what you see in Paul and, and increase the gap of what you see in Jesus. In other words, that you see more of him than you see of me. And that's our goal. So you have to realize that in the Ephesian culture, it's a little bit different. They serve different gods. They serve Greek gods and Lydian gods and all sorts of gods that are incorporated in it. And there is a temple to a goddess called Artemis. And we'll see when we go through our text a little bit that Paul is attacking some of their worship, some of their God worship. Why? Because at the temple of Artemis, it's very debauched and it wouldn't be uncomfortable, uh, un actually unnatural or unnormal to walk into the temple of Artemis and they worship a little differently because they have temple prostitutes and prostitution is a part of their worship. That's how far their culture has gone off and, and they believe that they are giving help to fertility and pleasing the gods by taking these temple prostitutes and taking them to bed with them. And, and so their culture is a little bit skewed. So Paul is going to compare and contrast the way Christians should be as uh, along with the Christian culture. There's also gods like we call uh, some people call him Bacchus or Dionysus, which is the god of wine. And in order to serve Dionysus, what they would do is they would dress themselves up and carry out harps. And because he was the god of wine their worship was to eat un, un, uncooked flesh and also to have debauched and, and raunchy type activity and to get drunk that's what they were doing they figured they figured that if they filled themselves up with wine they figured that if they ate uncooked meat and if they did these rituals that in their mind they would quote unquote be filled with the spirit of Dionysus and that Dionysus would come in them, give them exuberant energy and that they would be filled with his wisdom. They would be filled with his thoughts and they would be filled with all these things. Why am I telling you this? Because it's going to make more sense when you read the text in a second that Paul, when he talks about things, it's important to know that he's actually fighting against the culture, that the word of God is fighting against the culture. And I know we would love to embrace the culture and I'm not antagonistic towards some things in the culture which can be good and can be redeemed for Christ but if we be honest there are some things and ways in the world that are in direct opposition to the word of God 
There are some things that are, are directly antagonistic toward the word of God. So Paul is telling us, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave up his self for us as a fragrant offering. I want to ask yourself, would you pass the smell test today? What does that mean? That when, when they gave fragrant offerings, God, you would often hear when God wasn't pleased in the Old Testament, he would say that I'm not pleased with your offering and it stinks in my nostrils. The, 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 the fragrance of the offering that you're sending is not pleasing to me. And Paul uses this imagery again, and he also used it in Romans 12, for he says, I beseech you now, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a what? Living sacrifice. So he's saying that if you live like Jesus lived, that your life will be an offering that is a sweet smelling savor to the father. I've come to ask you what kind of aroma with your life produced today? That's a powerful thought. If how I'm living, I'm not talking about the fact of whether or not you're saved because you can be saved and be carnal and still have some things on you that are not like Christ. I had children. I had three children. We had four and we miscarried one that's in heaven now. But when I was young, I wasn't very good at changing diapers. And as much as I loved my children, I could do number one, but number two, and somebody was going to have to change me. I wasn't very good at, at number two. So as much as I love my child, when the aroma came up uh, of what had happened, I loved my child and it was still my child, but I had to take them and I had to hand them off to my wife and say, I love you. If you'll clean them up and make them presentable again, you can hand them back to me. Now, we, that seems funny, but God is the same way. Although God loves us, sin stinks the same way in his nostrils, and God cannot himself touch sin or be a part of sin. So what he did was he handed us off to Jesus and said, they're a little stinky. If you can wash them in your blood and represent them to me, then I'll be able to receive them unto myself. And sometimes, even after we've come to Christ, we still have some things in our life that make us a little stinky to God. We are accepted by grace through faith, but there are some things in our life that God loves us, but he doesn't love it. That's why when we get into our, our series coming up this week, we'll talk about lay aside every weight and sin because we feel just like we aren't doing the big sins that people see uh, and that we have or we've gotten too old to sin or, or we just are too boring to sin, that there aren't other things that aren't sin that aren't in our lives that may not be displeasing to God. And it's important for us to lay those things out and to get those things away from us. Thank God that God has washed us with his blood and, and, and through the blood of Jesus, he can now hand us back to the father. And the word says now we can come boldly before the throne because we have full access. It's not that the father ever stopped loving us. You know how I know? Because it says he loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's a broad term. That means anybody who would come and believe on his son, would not perish, but have everlasting life. He never sent his son to condemn us. How do you know? Because John 3, 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. The reason he sent him, because he says, he that believeth is already condemned. Because he had not believed on the name of God's only son. And what Paul is saying is that you've been saved, but there are some things in your life that I need to make sure you're aware of that you have to leave back in your former life. So it's important, he says, that our conduct and our lives it should be in a theme of unconditional love. We must ask ourselves, how am I living a sacrificial life of love? And is it demonstrated in my home and my personal relationships? Am I living that life of love at home in my personal relationships with the people at the church or in my small group say the same thing about how I behave as my husband or my wife or my children? Would they say I'm as godly as my husband or my wife or my children? I'm going to tell you why. Because they know more about you than anybody else. They see things that others don't see. 
That's why when Paul tells Timothy, if somebody is going to be an elder, he must rule his house well and must be worthy of respect. Why? Because if they don't respect you and they don't follow you, there may be a reason why. They can see things that other people can't see. They see you when the church lights are off. They see you when the music stops playing. So not only should we live a life of sacrificial love in our home and personal relationships, but also in our community and our local responsibilities and partnerships. So also I should put, present myself in my home, a godly loving character, but also I should be involved in my community. I am not responsible for, but I am responsible to my community to be able to be a light and to be able to help and share the love of Christ, maybe adopt the school or maybe volunteer my time to do some things in the community where I can interact with people and share the gospel. Even in this age of COVID, there are creative ways in which we can be salt and light outside of the four walls of our home. Not only that, but we have a responsibility to the world at large. You may never go overseas, but your prayers can reach. Sometimes your giving can reach. We have a responsibility to Love how Christ loves. So Paul is saying, let me tell you, because this is the culture you grew up in, and I'm going to describe the culture that you're in. And when I describe the culture that you're in, it's going to sound very familiar to you. And I want to let you know to watch out for this. These are warning signs. He says this, verse 3, but among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Neither should there be obscenity foolish talk or of course joking which are out of place but rather in thanksgiving in other words he's saying it's okay in the culture in which you live but it's not okay in the in God's culture and so I'm calling you out of those things and what Paul is letting us know he's remembering and helping us to remember that our lives give that aroma to God and that we are now his sacrifice and that we should be an example of service and love. And as we said before in the previous teaching, everybody repeat after me, our conduct should match the product. If God has saved us, we should be forever working through a process called sanctification to make sure that our conduct matches the product. Does that mean that we won't ever get anything wrong? Absolutely not. We'll look at that in a second. Our conduct should match the product. Our ultimate goal is to minimize the tarnishment of the image of the representation of Christ. This involves a course correction and an, and an adjustment when our behavior does not reflect Christ. In other words, when you fess up, mess up, get up and move forward. Don't live in condemnation, but as much as possible, our life should be pushed toward living a life that gives glory to God. It's impossible to live in the world as a fallible human being and not have some kind of sin. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. The blood of Jesus takes us away from the penalty of our sins and washes us away from our sins. And we stand before the throne boldly, just as if we've never sinned. We are justified by grace through faith, but we are going to sin simply means this word. Sin in the Greek is the word hamartia. Hamartia means to miss the mark. In other words, that this is God's standard and this is where I came. I fell short of his standard. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, I have fallen away from his righteous standard. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it together. What does it say? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's read it again for the... For, for the people in the back. Let's read that again. There might be somebody self-righteous on the feed. And let's read that again. Let's read it. It says what? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we feel like we don't have any kind of sin 
or, or a misappropriation in our life, it will stop us from reaching for, towards perfection in Christ. And Christ is trying to perfect us. And the only way we do that is to be honest with ourselves and say, God, I need you. And so Paul is telling them that this is how they need to live. It is also real and honest to admit that fallible human beings may not represent Christ in all of our actions. But it is also just as real and just as honest to say that we should not be comfortable in staying in those mistakes. Let's look at Romans 6 and 23 and see what that says. For the wages of sin... It's death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Paul even says this. He says, shall we continue now therefore in sin that grace abound? God forbid. In other words, that you still have the capacity to do wrong, but as much as you have the cognitive ability and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that you shouldn't keep doing it just because grace will get you. Grace is for just in case, not just because. Grace is there because it's impossible for us to meet the standard. Guess what? If you break one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. So it doesn't matter what you did or if this one's a drinker and this one's a smoker. If you're a gossip, guess what? Y'all get the same penalty. This one's a thief and that one's a whoremonger, but you're lazy and slothful. Guess what? Y'all get the same penalty. It's the same crime. Sin. And the wages of sin is what? We like to put qualifications on them because it makes us feel better and say, at least I'm not like them. But in God's eyes, you're just like them. Unless the blood of Jesus is covering you. That was the problem with the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee came up and he said in his prayer, I thank you that I tithe. I thank you that I give. I thank you that I do all these wonderful things in the church. And I'm not like this publican over here who steals from his own people. I'm, I don't, at least I don't work for the IRS, Lord. And God didn't hear a word he said. And here comes this guy who's an extortionist. That's what publicans were. Tax collectors were extortionists. They took money from people. They took more than the people owed, gave some to Rome, and kept the rest themselves. They robbed their own people. And guess what? He had enough common sense to come to the altar, not even raise his head, but beat on his chest and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm jacked up. Have mercy on me. And God only heard one person. And who was it? He heard the sinner who was honest with himself and said, Lord, I need your help. God is there when we're really ready and willing to accept his help. It goes beyond our outside behavior, but it goes deeper into our thoughts. First Samuel 16 and 7 says, man looks, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance of his height. He was talking about David, but he says, for I have rejected him. He's talking about one of David's brothers, rather. He says, the Lord does not, let's read that together. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. And he picked David. And we all read at the end of the story. We know what David's going to do. David is not a great person. But God picked him anyway because God's standards are different than ours. God can see things. Guess what? That we can't see. David didn't look perfect like the other individuals. But David had a trait that some of them wouldn't have. He would, when, he was, when David was wrong and he was confronted, David didn't try to hide it. David was honest. And he said, I've sinned against you. And he said, create in me a what? A clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. What is David saying? I can be honest that and transparent that, God, I have some issues, but I'm not going to make excuse for my issues. I'm going to abandon those things, and I want you to clean me up. 
It goes well beyond our behavior down into the deepest parts of our heart. See, here's the thing. We feel just like because you can't see my sin that I get a pass. No, you don't get a pass because God sees it. We feel like because nobody can see our cell phone and see the the websites that we have no business looking at that we get a pass. But guess what? God sees it. We feel like because everybody at the church thinks that we're an upstanding young citizen and that we do the best and that we're above reproach and that's not anything but dirt commenting on dirt because we were all made from what dirt so if dirt affirms you you're not you're getting affirmed by what dirt that's my not much of an affirmation the only thing that makes you valuable is that you're filled with the spirit of god and you are an image bearer of christ but one sinner saying another sinner is good is not much saying to anyone but we feel like it's okay but god can see you when the door is locked God can see you when you're in a room full of people and you don't open your mouth, but he can still hear what your heart is saying. He said there must not be a hint of any of it for you. Right now, pornography is rampant in our communities. Pornography is rampant all over. Our culture is not much different than the Roman culture. And it's not just pornography. It's all sorts of things that are in the heart and we will not deal with it. And it's not just prevalent in the world. It's prevalent in the church. And people in the church are scared to admit that they have a problem because the people because the people that are in the church are the world's best at shooting their wounded. The Bible says that if your brother is overtaking in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a brother in the spirit of the meekness, considering yourselves, lest you also what? Perish. But is that what the church does most times? No. The church pulls out a gun and a knife and says, I have to give you what's righteous and I have to give you what's right. But what happened to vengeance is mine. That doesn't mean that there aren't penalties for sin. That does not mean that there are not discipline and church discipline and punishment for sin. I don't want anybody to think that you just do wrong and and get away with everything. But at the end of the day, I ask ourselves, when we're looking at somebody else's faults, could it be that we're looking at theirs to cover up that we don't really want to deal with ours? That it, sneakily, we saying, at least I'm not them. He never said not to judge your brother. Sins. He said, first take care of the beam in your own eye. Take care of your own problems. And then you can see clearly, but it's not to judge your brother. It's to pull the speck out of his eye, to help him out. <laughs> he said, take first the beam out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He never said to take the beam out of your eye so you could look at your brother and say, look at you with that speck in your eye. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. No. He said, excuse me one second. I see something there, but I can't help you until I first deal with my own. And when I deal with my own and I'm strengthened, now I want to walk alongside you to help you to be better. That's what the Christian community should always be about is restoration and the helping people who are lost and people who are far from God find him. Is this helping anybody tonight? Our goal, our ultimate goal is to daily become more like Christ. Paul is not telling us to live a life that is devoid of enjoyment. When we look down through these scriptures, for he says, you were once in darkness. And we say, well, I can't have any jokes. And it says, I, I shouldn't joke. And I, I should know. He, he didn't say you can joke. He said, foolish and coarse joking. Stuff that you're laughing at that really is not funny. Or the stuff that you retweet. Or the stuff that you repost on Facebook that's cussing and got obscenities in it. But, or something vulgar, nasty, but because you didn't say it, you feel like you get a pass to repost it. If you can't say amen, say out again. He said there must not be a hint among you because that tarnishes the image of Christ. And people who are coming to Christ, you'd be surprised how many people are looking at your life. And sometimes we get it wrong. 
We do. If we're honest, we get it wrong. But we should try to get it right more than we get it what? Wrong. And when we make it, when we get it wrong, we should work diligently to work and restore it so that we can be a light for Jesus because the days are evil. We don't have much time. And and even if God doesn't come back for another 2000 years, the span of our life is short. We still don't have a lot of time. So we must work while it's what day for when night comes, no man works. Paul's not saying that you can't have enjoyment. Matter of fact, Christians should be the most smiling. I cannot. It gets on my nerves. Let me be careful how I say this. I do not appreciate stodgy, old, crudgy Christians. You say you got the joy of the Lord and you always angry and bitter and frowning. That, that, that just doesn't matter, matter to me. How you doing? Hey, good morning. Or every time I see you, the only thing you do is rattle off a list of your aches and pains and all the stuff you got going on and, and this. And it seems like you're woe is me. And you never and I'm not telling people to be fake and not ever be honest with what's going on with them. But guess what? You should every now and then have some thanksgiving in your voice. Amen. Amen. Verse four. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or, of course, joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For you, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy portion, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That word inheritance means that there's something to be had. A child gets an inheritance. Do you not know that there will be two judgments at the end? There will be a judgment for sinners and there will be a judgment for saints. And the Bible says that for the saints, each one was given according to the deeds that were done in the body, which were good or evil. And guess what? You may be saved and on your way to heaven, but forfeiting some of your inheritance by the way that you act and the way you live. What you do on this side has eternal consequences. You only get one time, one chance to accept Jesus, and that's in this lifetime. You either choose to be with him in this lifetime, or you become eternally separated from him forevermore. Verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. He says this. He reminds them, for you were once in darkness. What does that mean? It does not mean that we ignore sinners. Because Jesus' main rebuke from people was that he hung around sinners. They called him a wine bibber and a drunk. Because he hung with the Pharisees and the publicans. They said, should we listen to this wine bibber? And in plain and plain plain English, should we listen to this alcoholic? He hangs out where the ungodly people hang and he's drinking and doing all sorts of things. Should we hang with this person? But Jesus was where they were, but he wasn't doing what they were doing. It's okay. Sometimes we're gonna have some people that we have acquaintances with that do not know Christ are not followers of Christ. And that's okay. But what we should not do is condone the things that they condone. Some things we have to stand up for and say they are not okay. Hmm. I wonder, do we only like movies that have violence in them? That it's not funny. If it doesn't have any cursing or violence, we say that's a kiddie movie. It's too innocent. We don't like to watch it. Or, 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 or we only laugh at jokes we have no business laughing at. Or uh, that innocence is no longer attractive. We have to interact with people who are not believers. However, we do not have to adopt their way of life. I'm going to pass through. They're having some technical difficulties back there. And that's okay. You do know we had these Bibles and we could flip them before we ever had technical teams in the screen. John, and I still remember what stuff is, praise God. John 15 and 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. The world hates us 
because we're the chosen of God, because we are image bearers. In verses 8 through 14, Paul acknowledges that the Ephesians' former condition should be changed. He now encourages a shift in their behavior. He encourages them to let the light of the world radiate on them, in them, and through them, and from them. And Paul is encouraging the church to be a shining light. And the lifestyle we choose to use will express everything in contrast. What do I mean by that? He's not telling us to go and beat everybody over the head by the sins that they have. Anybody else ever lived, lived somewhere or been in a room that has roaches or cockroaches or anything like that? Have you ever noticed that you don't ever have to tell a cockroach to leave? All you got to do is what? Turn on the light. And they start scurrying because they use to the darkness and that's why many people are antagonistic towards Christians is because your very presence is the light of Christ if you don't believe me go to a party where there's a lot of drunkenness going on and pick up a, a pick up a coca-cola with nothing in it and just stand there and see how comfortable you make people It's not that you're drinking the Coke that's the problem. It's the problem that they know they've gone way too far in their drinking. And now you being there is, is an example of what should be done or at least some degree of what should be done. And it makes you feel guilty. I'll never forget I was at a party and, and uh, we went to a party for someone at work. And, and this girl, everybody was out and they invited me to the party with some work. And, and there was music going on and everybody was having a good time and everybody had the drinks and they were going on and this girl thought it would be funny. She walked over and touched the radio and said she put on Kirk Franklin and all of a sudden everybody said, hey, hey, wait a minute, cut that off. Don't do that. What are you doing? It was gospel music and everybody said, hey, get her away from the radio. Get her away from the radio. You don't do that no more. She thought it was funny, but they didn't because then they will be reminded that there was a God. And that their behavior might not line up. My cousin had a friend, and, and uh, I didn't really want to go on the trip with them, but my cousin, for their birthday, decided they were going to go on what's called a party bus. And they were going to go all the way to New Orleans from Mississippi. That's not far. And I just wanted to see how far they would take it. And I was joking, joking with them. And I talked to her friend. I said, hey, me and Robin have never been on one of those things. And, and uh and I said, that sounds like it would be fun. I knew I wasn't going. I just want to see what he was saying. He was under, he said, Reverend, you can't go with us. <laughs> I said, but why not? He said, I'm just going to be honest with you because I plan on sinning. And if you die, you're going to mess up my sin. <laughs> we can't have a good time with you on this bus and do what we want to do. Now, God is still there watching them, but my presence there reminded them that there was a God somewhere, and it made them what? Uncomfortable. I appreciated the honesty, and I laughed. I wasn't going anyway, but I was so shocked and amazed. I didn't even know how to respond to his honesty. He said, I'm just, you might be mad, but I'm just being honest. You can't go. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I appreciate it anyway. But people who are opposed to Christian principles will oppose them not because they're bad, but because they will be exposed in comparison to them. So even in interviews in TV, when we see people and pastors getting interviews, there are always certain hot button topics that they always gravitate towards. Have you ever noticed that? They ask their positions on certain things to catch them up to see if they will bend to the culture on what the culture says is right. And what the culture says is okay. And they always ask them those questions. And I've seen many a giant, time after time, fold to the pressure. And not answer the question or go around the question. Some ways, it's disheartening. But what they don't realize is that the leader's opinions are worthless unless they're validated by scripture. So when you ask me what I think about a cultural topic, I'm simply going to tell you what the Bible says. Because right is right, even if we ain't doing it. Right is right. And I know ain't's not a word. I think it's in the dictionary now. <laughs> but even if we're not living to the standard, right is just what? 
Right. The world would be better if people stood in the pulpit and stopped talking about their opinions. I'm just going to get on my soapbox. Stop talking about what they felt and what the culture said and stop giving 15-minute apologies every time they have to preach the word of God to something that they feel the culture would be uncomfortable with and say, I'm not here to attack anybody, but I am the mailman. I'm delivering the word. This is the word of God. And if you do not line up with the word of God, God doesn't line up with you. He's calling you to line up with him. God doesn't care what our opinions are on popular issues of the day. He doesn't care if we have a church full of people show up on Sunday morning. All he cares is were you obedient to my word and did you do what I told you to do? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 15 through 18. It says then, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul is saying that you should be very urgent in what you do. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul is speaking in those two verses to the urgency of the present situation, and it is still fitting for us today. The events of our day are just as debauched and just as upside down as Paul's were. And we should let, that should let us know that the day of the Lord is fast approaching. A thousand years is but a day in the eyesight of the Lord. I don't know how long it'll be before Christ comes back. And I don't presume to know, but there are many indicators every time I turn on the television or walk outside that let me know that Christ is on his way back. And so he's saying to make sure because the days are evil that we will redeem the time, that we will make the best use of the time we have. We all have limited time and limited space. When we come before God, it's important that we make sure that we did all we could and all that our hands were assigned to do. He's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful pastor. He's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful bishop or deacon or elder God. I doesn't care about any of those titles. The only thing you ever hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why am I saying that? Because many people feel like we get a pass if we're not the pastor or we're not the deacon or we're not the elder. But the truth of the matter is that we are all ministers and we are all accountable to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus. And if we do not minister in the area that we're called to minister in, he will hold us accountable. And I don't know what about you but I want to pass the smell test when I get to heaven. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You said what was unpopular, but you said what I wanted to hear. You said what had created enemies, but I became your friend because you were bold enough to tell the truth and not care about your well-being. Verse 18. In order to fully understand this verse, many people have used this verse to say what it does not say. And I'm going to tell you what this verse is saying. This verse, as we talked about earlier, the culture of Dionysus has a culture of Dionysus is considered the god of wine. So when Paul is giving this, Dionysus in those ages, those people felt like because they were becoming drunk with wine that Dionysus would come up and fill their bodies. So that when he's talking to them, he's talking to them of something that they are familiar with, a, a, a pagan practice. And what Paul is saying is that you can get drunk on all the wine you want. It's not going to help you. If you want to be filled with something that's going to change your life, it has to be the spirit of God. It's very likely that Paul is speaking again to a cultural value system and contrasting how believers should behave. The benefits of being filled with the spirit are much better and long lasting than anything the world has to offer. Which influence would you rather be under? The influence of alcohol? The influence of drugs? Or would you rather be under the influence 
of the Holy Spirit. There's only one that can comfort you and keep you comfort. There is some southern comfort. And southern comfort, is it, it can comfort you for a minute. But once, once your stupor and your alcohol is gone from that southern comfort, you're going to be right back in the same situation. But the Holy Spirit has a peace that passes all understanding. There is a high that drugs can give. But when you come down, life is sitting there waiting for you. But there is a high that God can give that will give you joy when you should be crying and when all hell is breaking loose around you and you should be losing your mind. People can't realize why you still have peace, why you still have love, why you still have joy, how you can be nice to people you know want to cut your throat. How can you speak to people you know that hate your guts and they're watching you saying, I know they hate that person. Why are they being nice to them? Because there was an old song that said there's something inside of me that's holding the reins and when I would want to do something I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit and when I would want to say something he says you ought not say that when I want to react and, and, and I want to have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth the Holy Spirit says you ought not do that when they kill your dog and you go over to kill that cat, the Holy Spirit says you ought not do that. Which influence are you under today? Verse 19 through 21, and we're out of here for tonight. It says, speaking to one another with psalms. Let's read this together since we're at the end. You ready? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God for everything. Wow. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last verse. Verse 21. It says this. I'll read it out. I don't think they have it back there. But it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now I'm going to break down those, those three parts real quick. Go back to verse 20. It says, always give thanks. What it's saying is that we should contribute to building up and encouraging one another externally. Go back to verse 19, please. A little bit further. Speak to one another. You see, it's got the word to one another, which means it's indicating how we should act toward one another. We should speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit, which means we should exhort and encourage one another, which means that we as Christians, once again, have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to what? One another. That is our job to encourage one another. Everybody said to one another. Now, we also are to have a life of worship to the Lord internally because he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord in your heart to the Lord that it's internal that there's something inside of you that is going to come up and spring out like living water from your belly shall flow rivers of living water to the Lord that we should have an internal prayer life always giving thanks to be continually thankful in everything you mean everything even the stuff I don't like even the situations that I had to endure, which I wish I could erase, even the mistakes in my life, I still have to be thankful for those? Yes. Because although all things are not good, they work together for your good if you love Jesus. And God can cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Don't walk in fear and condemnation. Don't walk and regret. We'll talk about that more as we go along in the coming weeks. I'm so excited about this series that's coming up uh, if, if the Lord allows. He says to serve one another and submit to one another. The word submit, and we'll look at this more next week as we start at the top, but I want to give you the word. The word submit, everybody say hupatasso. Hupatasso 
is a Greek term, but it is a military term. So when he speaks of submitting, not all the time, when he talks about submission to the Lord, he uses a different term. But when we're talking about to one another, he uses the word hupotasso, and hupotasso means to willfully place in the subjection. It's a military term, which means that Brother Dave has been in the military. I may be younger than Brother Dave. I may come, and I may come into the military. If had I gone into the military, when they asked me to go into the military, they told me just because I had a college degree, I could go through this little corps, and I could become what's called a and uh, OTC, Officer Training Corps. So I could come out of, out, of, out of the basic training and be on top of all these other people who have been in the military for years just because I had a college degree. Now, did I have more value than those people to the military? Probably not because I wouldn't know uh, anything that they knew and many of them might have been battle-hardened. But guess what? Although they, we might have had the same human and intrinsic value, if I'd have been an officer, what I said had to go which means that submission has nothing to do with your worth and your value. This is why it's, it's a nasty word in, ma in marriages. It has everything to do with order and to be able to have things function and flow because God is the perfect picture of order. For the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Son. They are all co-equal and co-eternal in nature. All of them are God, but they all willfully submit to one another. Jesus said, I don't do anything. Unless I first tell, check it with what? My father. The, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own accord, but he simply says what's given to him. So although they are co-equal and co-eternal and they are all God, they work in an order that is a submission. And when they submit, in other words, literally, just like you were doing what's called a turtle. And what's a turtle in, in the Roman culture is they would go into these boxes called turtles and they'd have these big long shields. And some in the front would put their shields down. The ones in the middle would turn their shields up on their head and the ones on the back would turn their shields to behind. And it was called the tortoise formation. And what they would do every now and then, they would give a command. They would move those shields. Somebody would stab and then they would fall right back in line. But here's what happens if one person decides he's supposed to be at the front of the line and he's at the middle of the line. Line, he creates a hole in the formation and everybody dies because there's protection in order and Paul is saying that we through our submission show the light of Christ we all have to be accountable to somebody submission does not demoralize or devalue submission strengthens us by bringing order and cooperation and unity to God and we'll start there next week as Paul begins to help us focus on the family. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us the words to say. Lord, I pray that we honor you to the best of our ability. Lord, even as I go back to listen to this, I ask Holy Spirit that you bless my life. Bring things to me. Help me to grow closer to you. Lord, your word is for us all. And I pray that those who are listening by podcast or under the sound of my voice will be blessed by your word. And we'll give you all the praise and all the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.